Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dominic Fifield of The Guardian and Miguel Delaney of The Independent. Talk about first world problems. Premier League clubs are complaining they're being held to ransom in the transfer market. Poor lambs. It's their own fault. English football is squandering its inheritance, a predictable consequence of greed and panic. Surprised, Dom? Not surprised that the, the, the prices are inflated for, for English clubs because the world knows that English clubs get ridiculous amounts of money from, um, from big media companies. Um, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is that, that everybody knows that they can charge English clubs a premium. Um, when you look at the, the size of some of the deals, it does blow your mind. But I just think that's the market you're competing in. They're very, I mean, it's, it's now when you see a seven and a half million pound or even a ten million pound yeah. transfer, you think that club's got a bargain. Um, or, or there's something wrong with the player they're buying. Mm. Uh, it's 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 got to that levels now, and it's well, I mean. We're at what Real Madrid pay, um, but we're paying it for, for relatively mediocre players. It almost feels like 40 million is the standard price now. Yeah. Mm. That's kind of your, your baseline figure for someone uh, anyway, half decent. Uh, but there's probably almost an economic thesis in it, and that's just all this money. And obviously, they've advertised, it's so ad advertised how much money they have, but it hasn't actually made it any easier to buy players. It's just kind of made it different, almost made the market tougher. And even kind of I was talking to someone um, at a club last week doing a piece on this and they said they've never known a, tra a window like it in terms of just how difficult they found every single foreign club to deal with. Well, that's understandable, isn't it? Because it also, I think it's understandable that European clubs, are having, they've got quite a sane market between themselves, haven't yeah. they? But the moment an English club turns up, it just goes haywire. Well, and it's interesting in that sense because you can see it with Juventus and Bayern did a deal last week for uh, Douglas Costa. Yeah. And it's quite... it's. It's quite a low-key deal. I mean, it's a, a one-year loan, and the fee, I think, kind of amount to £40 million if Juventus decide to buy. But, A, it's the sort of deal that they probably never allow an English club just because they want the money. And, B, I mean, it, 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 it does feel as if a little bit kind of almost all these kind of major foreign clubs are almost kind of <laughs> operating a different market themselves apart from England. And even Agnelli at Juventus, he's dropped a few kind of hints lately about how it's time to maybe redistribute some of the money in the Champions League to get some of the Celtics and the Ajax and, and make them stronger again. So mm. it, it, it does feel maybe there's a little bit of a shift in that way. Mm, that, that is, there's a more sophistication in that European market. 
look, let's look at Renato Sanchez. I can't believe an English club hasn't gone one in for him. AC Milan are looking at a two-year loan deal for seven and a half million euros with a view to buy for 40. That's a bargain in today's market, isn't it? Yeah, but as we were saying off air beforehand, if, if a Chelsea had come in, it would have been 15 million a year with a view to buy for 70 million. So it's, it's, it's that ludicrous. Um, yeah, there is a more sensible market in Europe when they, before an English club gets involved in any deal, but you know, it wasn't like that. If Real Madrid came in for one of your players, you used to slap 20 million pounds on, on, on top of the transfer yeah. fee. It's, you do that with every English club now. And, and the top, the elite, the top four or five, maybe six, can afford to go and pay 40 million pounds for a, a midfielder from France who's maybe got two or three caps. But what happens to, to a mid-table club in the Premier League or, or a club that's just been promoted? Do they, do they risk ev blowing everything? And a lot of these clubs haven't received the money yet from, for the t from the TV deals. That's for future pay. So they're mortgaging basically what they're going to get for the season. And I think the dilemma is for those mid-table mid teams, for the your, your Stoke Cities. I mean, does Stoke City sanction a £22 million sale of Arnautovic to West Ham? Because they'll, they'll know that whoever they buy in... It's probably going to be £25 million pounds mm. for, for, for an incoming player of that calibre. So that's where the dilemma is, not with the, not with the elite, I don't think. Mm. Some stats for you. <laughs> Jerome Boateng, Mats Hummels, David Alaba, Josh Kimmich. £48.58 million. Pounds. Kyle Walker, <laughs> with the Daniel Levy tax thrown in, £53 million. Discuss. Yeah, um, well, I mean, points to what, what Dom is saying as well, and kind of just how I mean, it, it's almost a, a hyper real market at the Premier League at this point. But in, in that, actually, I think Tottenham probably been one of the few clubs to almost resist this. But, but virtually, like, I mean, they've been chasing Lamar this summer. There's been talk that his wages should be one hundred thousand, but they don't want to actually pay it just because of how disruptive it would be to the team. So, I mean, for a variety of reasons, mostly it was Levy's business sense, they, and they, they, they have been extremely reluctant almost to, to indulge this inflation. Although, again, you'd wonder how much they also got burnt given last, last mm. summer their, their two big boys turned out to be, well, Jansen had that one moment against Swansea mm. and Tissoko, I can't, I can't remember anything. One moment against Swansea. Tissoko <laughs> 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 just didn't work at all. But it, and the last time that Spurs spent big was the bail money. Yeah, yeah. Of that. And that, that was a disaster, barring Ericsson. That yeah, was the yeah. one that worked. Mm. But uh, the, the one thing about, I suppose, even with Bayern there, it's. I mean, Hummels was probably the, the standout player in terms of who they signed, but that kind of came from a, a unique situation as well, kind of related to their their power over German football. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was a similar situation we've seen with Dortmund so often, where it was either basically sell a player or wait wait for him to leave. And I mean, that's that's damaging in itself in another way. Mm. With City, one do you think? But they had to pay that money for, for Walker in the end, especially when Danny Alves yeah. went to PSG. Yeah. Um, get the title or bust? Yeah, there's, there's got to be an improvement on last year. Last year was a bit of an anticlimax, really, all things considered, given the, the build-up we'd given to, to Pep. And I think City fans expected and the board expected from him. Um, he, at least he's addressing areas of the team that we knew yeah. were problems. And the, the fullbacks. It would be interesting to see whether they, they follow up their interest in, in Mondi as well at, at Monaco because the, the prices being talked about on him are, are ridiculous. For a player that in France, people acknowledge, has amazing days but also has pretty yeah. awful days as mm -hmm. well. 
Um, very pointedly tweeted this morning a picture of him at the Monaco training ground. I think that's what we call a come and get me play, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I, you know, I was, watching, I was looking back at Yoko's tweets at, at Monaco last week and I think Monaco got, got a bit annoyed with him in the yeah. end with what he was putting out there. Um, but I mean, you could write, you could write, you could write reams on these tweets alone from from the players and, and reading into them, reading reading between the lines. Mont Mondi, I, I I think that would be a risk bringing him in personally. But then City have got the money to to throw at play players like that. To be honest, um, well, Monaco are an interesting example in that. I mean, everyone expected a raid, and like, okay, they might well end up losing five to seven players, but they're not exactly going for small prices. I mean, they're, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, they, and they've already started to kind of reinvest that expected money with some kind of clever signings like te like Telemans. Yeah, well, mm. their biggest loss could well be the sporting director who yeah. left in the, in the in the summer. So, uh, but they are sort of seen as the model mm. now of a, a, a club that raids South America, for example, yeah. and brings out the you know players of potential that they can they can sell on to to gullible English clubs for a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of the Sergio Aguero situation, Migs? Because you know we're hearing. You know, potential swap deal with Arsenal for Alexis Sanchez, Chelsea being mentioned in dispatches. I can't for the life of me see why they would let him go, but what do you feel? Well, I mean, I suppose the one reason they could feasibly let him go is because yeah, he's just been kind of this strange situation where Guardiola's used him and some of the comments and all that. But in saying that, when a tweet came out yesterday by a, by a Spanish journalist, Manu Science, who's, who's actually was, who's very, very good on stuff like Ronaldo's story, so obviously has a good connection to... Uh, to the Mendes camp, um, I just asked someone I know at City, and they said well, they've heard Aguero's not for sale at any price, and particularly not to a Premier League club, which would make sense even if Guardiola isn't isn't that set. Them, I think there are some they're still still anticipate that eventually what Aguero will do is probably go back to Independiente once he once he finishes with City. Um, but what's maybe more interesting is why <laughs> that I mean, if it is the case that 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 City won't sell. Why? Why is that? In, that information has been leaked out there. What's the kind of the uh, the goal behind that? Give the listeners and viewers an insight into the machinations behind a big transfer. You know the briefings, the you know the word behind the hand, and all that stuff. Well, I think it's all. I mean, when you, when you do something on, on when you do a transfer story, you put it out on social media. It is always interesting to see people. Well, well usually you get a lot of a. You've made this up. Uh, <laughs> or, um, but even with the others who kind of to try and guess basically where has that come from, who's leaked that, and to be honest, <laughs> Dom shows himself, it can come from any number of places. I mean, obviously there are, there are many cases when clubs themselves, just when a deal, usually when a deal is close, that they'll they'll start, uh, they'll give kind of strategically, uh, strategic amounts of info just just to, just to keep the, the journals updated. But <laughs> it, it can come from from player sides from. People, people collect flow from kind of sponsors. From I think the range of potential sources is probably uh, underappreciated. Maybe mm. I have to say that, and this is just speaking personally, the the job journalistically dealing with transfers yeah. has never been harder. I've, this summer in particular, I've, I've, it's ratcheted up a, another level with with people attempting to feed you information, yeah. which some of which is so clearly bogus or. Or loaded for a reason, which you just have to try and negotiate this passage yeah. um, between the political motivations yeah. of all these parties, and it's it's harder than ever. It's harder than ever to try and be to be accurate out there because it's all a game of spin from the, from those leaking oh. as well. Just because every, everyone, I mean, you, you can see it with some of the big transfers already this summer. Those who lose and those who want to make sure they look as good as possible, mm -hmm. and obviously, kind of influence situations. But also, I mean, obviously. Uh, reporting transfer is 
completely trivial, trivial compared to other areas of journalism. But I actually struggle to think of other areas of journalism where you have to cover on something that as, as potentially volatile as a transfer situ- mm. as a transfer story because even if there's interest, even if, if it should happen, even if everyone thinks it will happen, so much can still go wrong, so much can still be distorted and so much can end up making you looking very foolish even if you were reporting the situation honestly at that time. Yeah. Yeah, at that time yeah. mm. What about the, the city model, Dom? Yeah, you've got Douglas Louise, 12 million euro from uh, Vasco in Brazil, immediately shipped over to Girona you know, basically, they're stocking another club at City. You've got Denia complaining that he'd sorted out his move to Lyon and they want him to go to, to Girona instead. Mm-hmm. Where is all that leading? Um, yeah, I'm a bit uncomfortable with it, just in the same way that I, I, I am with, with Chelsea and, and, and Vitessa. Um, it's Breda as well with City, mm-hmm. I think, in, mm-hmm. in, in Holland, who just got promoted. Um, but it, it's it's linked in with this desire to offer your younger players or the promising players that you've shipped in um, first team football somewhere, knowing full well you're not going to be able to offer it at, at your parent club. So, I mean, going to to Chelsea, the club that I cover a lot more than City, um, I, I I think I'm fair in saying that there's a lot of frustration this summer more than I've ever known before um, with the number of players that they're letting go either on loan or losing, like Nacho Loba, 97 England caps at various junior levels and, and now gets sold for £5.5 million to Watford. Um, the, the, and, and in the meantime, they're getting linked with £60 million left-backs or £50 million right-backs when you're thinking, well, hold on, you've got players you've been developing in your youth structure and have been playing first-team football out on loan who might be worth looking at, might be worth... Having a have a look in your first team. Otherwise, what's the point of them being at this club mm. in the first? Well, team? that is the point. What is the point mm. about spending, you know, City two hundred million pounds on their academy infrastructure? Mm. What's the point? But is that we know both clubs are kind of almost obsessed now with bringing through with, with having that academy tradition, and yet it's like they do every single thing right to get to that point, except the one crucial thing, which is actually give them give. Uh, I mean, it was something that Pochettino spoke about two seasons ago. He said, when you're bringing a young, a young player through you have to show that initial trust. It's not about the first 10 minutes, the first game. You, you actually got to give them a proper run to kind of to, to breathe. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the ultimate difference between what, what's happened at Spurs and clubs like City and Chelsea. It's like, because some, even with, with Chalabog, it's what brought on for two, three minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. And I mean... It, one start last season. Yeah. Premier League, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That was once to see the, the title had been won, I think. Yeah. Wasn't that one? Uh, and that was hailed as a great breakthrough where he and Loftus-Cheek were included in the well, first team I'll tell you what, there's a quote doing the rounds from John Terry. Uh, when he's explaining why he decided not to sign a new one-year contract at Chelsea. And he said the last thing he wanted was to, to stunt the development of Nathan Ake, sold mm. to Bournemouth, Kurt Zuma, about to be loaned to Stoke, Nat Chalobah, sold to Watford. He's gone thinking that those guys were going to come through mm. and make their mark at Chelsea, and they're not. Mm. That does beg the question. You know, we, we've talked up England's success at youth level across the summer, you know, the under-19s winning the Euros at the weekend. What's the future for those boys? The talent's there, where's the opportunity? Well, on that, I mean, uh, Ruben Lothar-Cheek was mentioned there, and I suppose he's maybe a similar age profile, no, no, they're not completely the same age, but similar to Del Ali. One has come through one of the elite academies, the other dropped down got, from the age of what, from late teens, getting proper competitive football, and has made a quantum leap in terms of his development. And you do like, is the academy system maybe failing in that way? That it's, it, we'll see more and more players, the ones who actually make the breakthrough, 
drop down quicker to get proper and become more rounded players. Mm. We'll, he, fi we'll find out about Loftus Cheek at Palace, won't we, this season? We might do. I mean, he's. <laughs> we might do. I hope we do in some ways, but then I'm also conscious of the fact that he's potentially gone there to compete with the club captain, Jason Punchin, for the same position. So are we likely to see him every week? Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, Chelsea fans will argue that he's got more quality than, than Jason Punchin, but Jason Punchin's got probably got 300 more phone senior games than than that loftus cheek um we'll see uh, that goes i think there's a it's tied in with e triple p um mm. which has undoubtedly i think we're in a position now to say that it has improved the quality at the, of the best academy mm. players but it's also ensured that those players are developing at the the best the, the, the elite clubs yeah, yeah. and they're not going to get a look in at any of those yeah. clubs mm. if those guys had been allowed to maintain their progress at the at the Fulhams, at the mm. Palaces, or Southamptons, whatever. I mean, Southampton's actually a bad example to use, but but maybe they would be playing in the first team football um, more regularly. I think out of the under 19s that have just won the Euros, um, the only three players that were playing regular first team football last year were Sassignon at Fulham. Yeah. I think Dizel played nine games for Ripswich. And Zip Brereton at Forest. And mm. other than that, everybody's just stuck in the and, system. And to take your point about Chelsea, you know, I saw quite a bit of that under 19 team. Dujon Sterling Excellent. looks a player. Mount, great number 10. Raving about Mount. Yeah. Where can they play? Well, Mount will go to Vitessa, I would imagine. I think he will probably spend the, the season there. Um, Sterling might, might push alone as well somewhere else. Charlton were mentioned for De Silva, I think it's a captain. Mm. Um, but that, that is what we're looking at. We're looking at them get, playing elsewhere. They're not playing at Chelsea. It's an interesting thing as well. It wasn't one of the initial arguments that why they send them to Vitesse and not lower league clubs is because they feel that that level of football is more suited to what Chelsea would want. But it, it does feel like, even the, some of the players we've mentioned, that the, the opposite is now becoming true again. It's actually, it could be better for them to stay, to stay in England than gonna, and go lower down. Given the, well, even if it was Chelsea, the amount of players have gone to Vitesse and then not progressed. Mm. Reality of Chelsea, over Boyang. 31 goals in the Bundesliga last season, big transfer in the making. Yeah, I'm quite surprised that he's been linked with Chelsea, but then again, he's been linked with everybody, and, and Dortmund, uh, Dortmund have sort of set this deadline on the 24th of July to sort his future mm. out. I'm, again, it might be just me, me instincts, and they might be wrong, but I, I'm slightly suspicious of a, of a player that is linked with as many clubs as he is, and mm. it just makes me wonder whether there's an active agent there that is trying to either push for a new deal or for... A, push for a more favourable move, maybe possibly yeah. to another German club. Or, uh, I, I, Chelsea sort of came out of the blue on that one and I'm yet to be convinced that he will be the one they go for. Look, they might be proved wrong because I, I think it goes with, with yeah. what the market is and whether they can get Morata in now and having missed out on Lukaku. Yeah, on that as well, I mean, Aubameyang's, first of all, I suppose Morata and Lukaku aren't that similar, but they can, they're both kind of target men in the way that Conte wanted. But Aubameyang is completely different to that. Mm. So it, w it would be kind of a, a scattergun, isn't it? Really? Yeah. If they, are, if they are indeed in for mm. him. Mm. There was a report that um, Higuain was mentioned as well. I can't see that no, happening, can no, you? No, well, I, I wouldn't have thought that would happen, no, to be personally. But I think that... But I think they are in a position now with Chelsea... I know yeah. <laughs> they're rewriting history slightly, but Chelsea were pursuing Lukaku and that was their main man. And for, for whatever reason, they dawdled on it and they took their eyes off the ball and mm. lost him to United. You, you know that club very well. What's your take on the mood? Where's, what's the mood music I like th I, I think I think we have to judge um, 
where they're at on September the 1st. I think it's too early now because they can still make a success of the window, albeit at great expense, but they can still make a success of the window. Um, I think there's been a lot of tension behind the scenes. I don't think Conte has been impressed with how they've dealt with things um, and, and how they've capitalised on the title success, just in the, the same ways as, as they failed to to build on their previous two title successes. You know, the second season under Ancelotti was an unprecedented disaster. They panicked in January in the end and spent lots of money on on a, an unfit Torres and, and David Luiz. Second time and with, with Jose, you know, we all saw what happened in 2015. It was just mm. and, and the, how it unravelled so quickly the following season when really their only major addition was Pedro. Um, they they just haven't reacted, and maybe that's because the market hasn't been able haven't been able to to react in the way they want. But that their first choices haven't come off um, mm. as yet. Maybe they will it's, still make a success of it. But. It's all the more surprising given that this, this was a close for about four to five years was almost seen as one of the slickest in doing business. And they, and they had this capacity to just always get these deals over the line. Yeah, mm. and weirdly I was, and this is, this is probably my own fault as well, but I, I, was, I was starting to scheme down a, a, a piece about how Marina Granovskaya is the ultimate business negotiator yeah, yeah. in the market. And then Lukaku just completely fell through, and you think, well, actually, yeah, we're not in that position. Because the back of Yoko deal, they eventually got it over the line, but not before. There was all sorts of mayhem with conflicting agents mm. and everything else, which is a, a very modern sort of morality play, isn't it? And the world's longest ever trip to a medical. Yeah. Well, I mean, he has got an <laughs> yeah, yeah. issue, and I think Keir, Keir Jarabchin's involvement in some way in that deal probably meant it was likely to happen in the end to Chelsea. Mm. Um, his brother, I think, was acting as his agent prior to that, um, whether he's still involved in some capacity. And the knee injury was, was, was the issue. But then you do get unnerved. And again, all these reports suddenly came out last week that United were yeah. going to hijack it. And United were denying it throughout. But, but on some level, somebody somewhere was saying, well, be careful, because United could do this again. Yeah, so yeah. With Lukaku. What about Danilo? You know, the talk about him coming from Real Madrid, but then City have also mentioned in dispatches. Yeah. What's interesting also is Chelsea seem to be kind of front-loading loads of uh, just very fast wide players as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a few other areas they need. Um, Do you think Bakayoko would work well uh, with Kante? Yeah, I, th I think so, yeah. Um, I... I I mean, Madish wasn't always a kind of perfect fit last season. Just it was some, there was a few times in, as good as Chelsea were, it did look a little bit awkward. Maybe Bakayoko is better suited, and also it'll it'll give. Uh, I mean, do, I mean, there was this whole debate if it was last season about whether Chelsea were a counter-attacking team and all that, and they probably were. Well, that's true or not? They probably were slightly more withdrawn than the kind of high-energy aggression that, that, that kind of on the front foot that Conte really does like, and I think Bakayoko will help in that regard. Mm. Looks like, well, they won't sell Matic to Man United at any price. Do you expect them to go to Italy? Yeah, I think probably Juventus would be the, the obvious choice, particularly given they're still talking those clubs over Sandro. Mm. Um, it's a natural dialogue to sort of tag on the end of those, those talks. And, and if they get £40 million from Nemanja Matic, then, you know, fair play, well done. I mean, they're still trying to, they're still trying to make up the money they lost after selling him for a pittance first time mm. round. Mm. Um, so that's, it's a strange one that as well because that does actually leaves them looking for another midfielder. And then last last week they've they've let Chaloba go to, to yeah. Watford for five and a half. And Chaloba, I think, four months younger than Bakayoko mm -hmm. or older, younger. Younger, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's a funny. They're playing a funny game, and and I'm sort of I don't want to launch too footed in on them because they have got this period that they can. Yeah. They've got six six weeks yet to 
to make a success of it all. And let's let's see how balanced the squad is and how how deep it is on on the on the first second of September. From the outside, though, you would just say it does just seem slightly counterintuitive to let so many players go before you get you get them in. And I don't really assume that that either Conte is <laughs> adamant these guys aren't yeah, going to make yeah. it, or they've got things lined up yeah. and they will. Happen. What's your take on um, Manchester United? Uh, Mourinho saying he's basically halfway through his recruitment this summer. Um, who do you see coming in? Um, I, Paris it should be done this week, I think. Um, they, I, he does still want Fabinho as a, as a right back. I don't think they, they see that as somewhat difficult to do. Uh, and there's, there's been growing talk about some mystery marquee <coughs> name that Woodward still wants to bring in. Who that is, you know? But there's, there's a lot of kind of a bubbling under the surface. Because uh, there is a kind of a renewed bullishness about United as well. I think that's only been kind of propelled by the um, by the fact that they they, they took Lukaku <laughs> off Chelsea. Um, I mean, in general, the one thing I from last season and maybe from the the general development of his career, I would have some reservations about whether Mourinho is still kind of the, the, the peak manager in the business, whether he's whether he's quite at the level of of Pochettino and Conte now. When, when he, obviously two, three years ago, five years ago, he was undeniably the best in the world. But at the same time, I do think, you could, I almost liken this kind of summer maybe to Inter 2009 or maybe Chelsea 2014 because he can clearly see exactly what types of players he needs. That's why he's been so intense on Perisic, why he's been so on a specific type of striker. Well, Perisic would just supply the crosses yeah. for Lukaku, Yeah, surely, exactly. Right? And if, if he, yeah, like, and it was one of the things about that, uh, his last title win, I suppose, you could just see straight, once you got the signing, the team immediately fit yeah. together so well. And I think that is possible at United now, which is why they could, you know, they could potentially jump from, from six to actually a, a proper title challenge this time. But then, like, like with City, they need to. Mm. Zlatan, there is some talk that he still might stay, will be offered another deal. You're Ed Woodward. Do you offer it? <laughs> um, <sighs> might do in January. Offer him six months in January. Um, it would be a marketing deal, wouldn't it? It would, yeah, well, it would to be honest. Deal. I can't yeah. imagine. Well, look, I suppose we're assuming that Lukaku hits the ground running mm. in that. Um, but I do think that Lukaku would, would offer... I know I know he's criticised and his first touch is still very much under scrutiny. Um, but I think he'll probably offer United a bit more... Well, certainly a lot more movement across yeah, that yeah, front line. And, and Ibrahimovic as wonderfully well as he did last season, um, has to be the focal point of everything. He yeah, exactly. He has to yeah, be the yeah. main man. Yeah. Um, but, you know, six months and then allow him to go to the States or whatever he wanted to do. Subsequently, I think yeah. it would work. So he did a big one I missed out there, obviously, that, you know, he's, more than anything, he's desperate for a defensive midfielder. So many he's going to, to pin the, that team together. Uh, and actually, that could pose a little bit of difficulty because Dyer... Um, Spurs, Spurs have been adamant they're not going to sell. Or some some people close to United think that for fifty million they could get him. Although I'd heard that their United's opening offer was about twenty three point five million, which is some way short, especially to Levy. So you mm. um, Matic looks off the agenda now. Although I do wonder whether they'll go back in one more time. But as you say, it's, it's there's just, no way they do that yeah. because of the egos of the boardroom. Yeah, yeah. So after that, then suddenly, I mean, Nottingham was mentioned with Roma won't sell, and also he he, he doesn't feel like a. Mm. A, a, a traditional defensive midfielder anymore in the way that Dyer Matic are. So then, then if, the, if it is such a key position, they're suddenly looking at maybe a slight bit of difficulty in, in who they can get in there. Weigel's been mentioned from Dortmund as well, though he's obviously young. Um, that, that could be one of the most interesting areas of, you know, of United Summer now, what, what, what he does at that position. Or then whether he improvises again and he puts Blind there but, or, or puts Herrera there. 
but that's obviously not what Mourinho wants and his reaction to that if he doesn't get him it's a defensive fielder could also be interesting yeah Let's look at Liverpool, and Jurgen Klopp's been talking about expecting a new car, which would presumably have two legs rather than four, four <laughs> tyres. Um, they're holding out to try and get Cater. Um, Virgil van Dijk, given everything that's happened, will they get him? It would take Virgil van Dijk to agitate to an extent that modern footballers don't seem to ever do as in handing in transfer requests, what, I'm not going to take my bonus. Well, look, if he does, then that puts Southampton, the pressure on Southampton, and then it's, it's who offers the most money. Um, I wonder whether a market would suddenly open if Virgil van Dijk handed in that transfer request. I think you might see Chelsea maybe flexing their muscles again on that front. Um, I mean, Liverpool, Liverpool will find themselves in a position where the two players that they want will cost an arm and a leg. Mm. Um, and if they get them, then that's £130 million spent on two players. And I know that, I know that Fenway want to spend big yeah. this summer and they've made it obvious they'll do that. Um, and it's going to be a game of patience with them because at the moment they just see Everton spending £100, 100 million next to them, albeit recouping most of that with Lukaku. Um, but they're going to have to be patient right up to the... Right up to the the deadline, I imagine. Does does Everton's activity put extra pressure on them? Um, also, does that put given the way the table finish puts extra pressure on United? But obviously, United aren't their local rivals, mm. uh, and Arsenal as well. Because Everton, I mean, I think with Everton signings, there's still a few that you would think right, they're good signings, but would they really make a top four side? Mm. But then I suppose with the, with, the, with the point they're at, it's all about kind of incremental um, mm. progress. Maybe like like City when they when they first got their, their money. Uh, even if it's not quite exactly the same situation. But Merseyside football yeah. is a febrile place, mm. and if Everton are perceived to be advancing and improving, and Liverpool don't get their men, that will impose a oh, certain strength. Yeah, yeah, and it, it does create a mood. Sorry. Well, the only thing I'd say is that if, if Everton had made all those signings and kept Lukaku, then definitely. Yeah. Then, then you're thinking, whoa, they, they're really going places. But the fact is that they've sold somebody who scores 20 odd goals, mm. and we don't know quite. And they obviously need to. They need another. They need another forward in, um, mm. and hence all those links last week with people like Jekyll. Benteke and Jekyll. Yeah. Mm. What about the importance of Jordan Henderson? I thought they missed him last season towards the end. Almost the, you know, the whole cliche, isn't it? You know, like having a new signing. A big season for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially was given his his leadership role in, in the team as well. Then ahead of a World Cup. Um, it's interesting for all we're talking about English players. And yet, two of the most important to Klopp, one of the most you know, uh, esteemed continental coaches, are two of the most important. The way he plays, and particularly the way he runs, are actually two English players in Lallana and Henderson, mm -hmm. because I think they're, they're they're both so crucial in, in setting the pace of that Liverpool side. And when when but when one of them isn't there, it it, it it does feel as if kind of there's just a little bit of a disconnect with the squad, because given how base they are on a thrust. Mm, they brought in Andy Robertson from Hull. Is that just basically padding out the squad, or do you think he will? Challenge for a first team place. Um, um, I, I liked I liked him in a in a whole team that was um, had a, a, a very different kind of objective. Um, he's good going forward, great going forward, uh, left wing back role. Uh, defensively, I think he's very suspect. Mm. A bit harsh, I know, but, but he's you know this sounds is, like sounds like the usual Liverpool yeah. left back, doesn't it? <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <I. laughs> With Everton, you know they've been linked with uh, Mario 
uh, Lamina from Juventus, the Gabon International. That, again, to me, sounds like someone's trying to create a market for, for a player like that. The last thing they need is another midfield player, mm. is it? And that's probably the problem as well when suddenly you do spend money. I, I mean, as we mentioned all of this, if, if, if it's very obvious you, have, you can spend and want to spend, then suddenly, A, your you, the, the 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 price you're quoted is always is always much higher. But B, you suddenly become a convenient uh, almost lightning rod for any other deal. You know, if, if anyone comes well, you know, we, we'll West Ham usually. We'll every, that, yeah, yeah. Always West Ham are interested. Yeah, as well. exactly. Although it's interesting, West Ham after after going so nuts in the transfer market last season, they've been actually comparatively quiet this year, and despite being on the brink of a few of a few moves. Mm. With with um, the situation at Everton, you've got. What basically is bullying going on, isn't it? Let's, let's be honest about it with Gilfie Sigurdsson. <laughs> £50 million, pounds come to us. Swansea talking darkly about alleged tapping up. Now, this is a familiar story yeah. for you. Is there any way around that? If a player wants to go, he'll go. It never has been any way around it, has there? If, absolutely. If a player makes up his mind that he wants out, he gets, he gets his move eventually. You know, it can be a painful process. Um, a messy divorce, but it, but ultimately, that's what tends to happen. Albeit that these days, the added the added thing is sometimes you get the old player that that hands in a transfer request, doesn't want to be there, and then suddenly signs a, a new contract yeah. on the choir. <laughs> um, I mean, there are a few have been a few of those of late. Dale Stevens at Brighton rings a bell. This time last year, he was asking for a transfer, and now he's yeah. preparing for a Premier League campaign mm. with them. Um, but it's it's all politics, and yeah, I, I suspect that Sigurdsson ultimately will, will end up at Goodison. Well, just thinking as well on, on that, I mean, obviously the, 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 man, the, the reason that clubs and managers ultimately let these players go is because they realise that was one of the, the difficulties of having someone who doesn't want to be there around yeah. and all the potential problems. But even in recent years, there's actually been cases of players that when clubs have put the foot down, they've stayed and it's actually worked out well for them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I guess so. Wayne yeah, Rooney, I mean, every year, you know. Well, yeah, that's just years. true, actually. Yeah, I love about you. <laughs> I mean, maybe to, to a degree, maybe to Gale, I suppose that only fell down because of, it wasn't exactly United put their foot down. It was, <laughs> yeah. with, with, with De Gea, do you think he will eventually go to Madrid? Because you know, Real Madrid, let's face it, a bit like the Mounties, they always get their man in the end, yeah. don't they? Uh, it probably will eventually happen at some point. Whether it happens this summer, I'm not sure. Although the, the kind of intrigue behind that has been so odd, that situation, especially like it was what, the first week of June and suddenly... You saw these kind of very pointed stories in Spanish media, you know, almost the kind of the equivalent of what we've seen last week from United, from from, from English media with United. But that Real suddenly are no longer interested in the Gea, and Zidane has made it clear Navas is, is number one. Mm. Yet despite that, it's never really gone away. United, as as as, as we know, are still kind of it's, it's always lingered there. This threat of of of, um, of Real coming back in. Uh, I think you know again in keeping with the bullishness we talked about United. They don't see why they would have to sell the Gaia. I think if and I think if it did come to it, they would almost nearly. They don't need the money, so they would almost go to Real. Well, if you want them that badly, what are you willing to offer in return? Potentially, potentially one of their proper stars, oh, uh, an Isco or a Tony Cruz or something. Tony Cruz. So it would be interesting if it did get to that point. But I think another reason United are relaxed as well. I mean, obviously they want they want the Gaia to stay and would prefer to say, but. Mourinho does like both his current goalkeepers. I think he he really respects and values uh, Romero's contribution. Just but, signed a four-year yeah, contract. But but also Pereira is seen as uh, some of United think he's potentially better than De Gea. Now whether that's a little bit of spin, who knows? But he is really really highly rated. And I think if if they're to lose De Gea in the medium term, I'd say that could almost be ideal if they are that serious with Pereira because he he is really seen as as the future in nets. Mm. Doesn't seem to be that long ago that 
Jack Wilshire was the future. Is he the past at Arsenal? I fear he may be. Um, I th sound, the noise is coming out from... Where are they now? They're in Australia now, aren't they? Um, from Wenger, where they, they, he probably will be at Arsenal this season. Um, but... He, he, yeah, unfortunately, the injuries have just taken their toll on him. And I, I don't think he had... Although you get very nice, kind words from Eddie Howe throughout last season, but I, I never really got the impression that he he illuminated the place in the mm. way that Eddie Howe thought he might, um, which is a great shame. And I think it's, again, just just the injury just taking the gloss yeah. off it slightly, um, taking the edge yeah. off, off, off his play. I mean, he played regularly for them, so he's got that behind. He can't sort of fall back and say, mm. you know, I'd, I'd had another injury or interrupted season. He, he, he pretty much played most games or part of most games. And I just don't see where he slots into the Arsenal mm. midfield anymore. Mm. Without, I mean, I think I was at, I think you might have been out as well, when Chelsea beat Bournemouth down in, um, I think it was in April. And we were t and Welch had, had quite a decent game, played some lovely passes in it. And afterwards, in the, in the Mondays section of the, of the, the press conference, yeah, uh, he was asked a few times about Wiltshire, and it was that he was kind of almost this restrained compliment, like the uh, like mm. he, he was talking. Yeah, the nice pass, but he wasn't really he wasn't really willing to gush about him, and like, maybe to, the way some of the questions wanted. Yeah, um, we we know about the injury issues. Mm. There's always in the background attitude issues or potential attitude issues. I found it really interesting that Alexi Iwobi basically admitted that he wasn't hungry enough last season. Does that encapsulate Arsenal's problem? The, the impression, I think, that's always given off, off Arsenal and one of the kind of wider issues of anger at this point is that it, it does sometimes, from what you hear, it feels like the sort of play... I mean, even last season, there were, there was never, there were never any indications that any of the player, players wanted Wenger to go. And I think there's, sometimes it does feel like it's like one of those classrooms where every, everyone likes the teacher, everyone respects him, but then when it comes to exam, exam time, you kind of wonder, are, are, we, are we as ready as we should? They, they could have done with something hard. Because, so, so, I mean, the feeling of Arsenal is that it's, still, it's a club where players are maybe more indulged than they should be. And while that is, is good to a point, has, when with a certain type of character, has obviously worked very, very well for Wenger, particularly when he first came, it does allow a certain amount of... Slacking off is the wrong word, maybe a bit harsh, but it, 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 it mean, the hardness isn't there. The real Comfort kind of, zone. Yeah. yeah. Comfort zone. Just, and it has been for a while. Mm. And uh, you're looking for them to shake it up somehow. Yeah. Um, and the greatest respect, I don't think spending £46 million up front on Alexandre Lacazette is going to shake it up. Yeah. It, it, it might make a, a difference at the top end, but I still think the underlying issues will, will be there at Arsenal. Mm. Where do you think Jura will end up? Um, Dortmund have been mentioned, haven't they? Yeah, I, I think... Well, actually, I think Arsenal should try and keep him, to be honest. I think he would be a... Uh, he would always be that slightly different type of striker that, they, that would, would add to their resources up front. But if he is going to leave... Um, Marseille are throwing some money around. If he can... I mean, they've actually bought quite impressively, yeah, yeah. I think, this season, um, this summer. Taking the G back off Spurs as well. Yeah, yeah, he's gone over there, hasn't he? And, and Mandanda's gone back. And there's a solidity about... It. That's a club that's under new ownership and, and, are, and are being ambitious and are trying to sort of break in that duopoly at the top between Monaco and, and PSG. Um, I think that, would, that might get his juices flowing going, going, going 
back there to, to the south of France where he enjoyed that wonderful season at Montpellier when they won the league. We're in now World Cup season. It's important for any player now to actually show himself in his best light. Joe Hart, Harry's medical at West Ham today, Monday. Um, he needs a stellar season, doesn't he? Yeah, completely, especially the way last season and the way even Selkirk was talking about him. And those last two games around the England and French and uh, mm. and French friendly, um, just to call, uh, on England though, just to go back actually from that that Scottish game, it was the one thing I was thinking throughout, and it's so relevant to Wiltshire. I think the, the one thing that England team is missing above anything is that midfield pass from the middle. I mean, because there are there are genuinely so many good players dotted around that squad, that, that team, that squad, but they just miss something to link it together, and which makes it all all the more of a pity that Wiltshire is not uh, not not ready for it, or not, not or it doesn't look like he. <laughs> he, he, he will be that player but so much depends on the season but yeah I think it's it's not the same with Hart obviously but he, do, he does need to kind of re-establish his, uh, his clout mm. he's got them and there's competition there isn't there now mm. yeah. there wasn't before and then now he's suddenly got three people four people with Heaton as well uh, Pickford doing well Forster mm. doing well Buckland's back they're all competing for that for that place and mm. I can see Pickford and um, uh, Buckland being the two if, mm. if Buckland if Butland is, I mean, I think Butland's got so many admirers within the England setup. Mm. We saw he comes back in in the French game um, for the second half, and he came on at half time. Um, and they they obviously think that this is a kid that's going to go places. And um, the injury was so unfortunate. What happened mm. with him? And 15 months or longer out uh, after the Germany match. And I think he's the one they look at and think, well, he 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 really could be a first choice come four or five years down the line. Mm. With England, um, do you expect who? You know, we talked a lot about young players earlier on. If you had to identify one player who could break into that squad, young player, who would it be? What do you mean by young? Now, no. is twenty young? Yeah, this is it. Chalab, actually. Yeah, there you go. He's, he's, he's especially given Southgate has made it clear to me if you get regular football, you're in serious consideration because we need someone in that position. Mm. He's, he's gone back to the right place as well. He knows Watford, doesn't he? Yeah, and and he played something like. 3,200 minutes of football in the championship as, a, as an 18-year-old with Watford, mm. um, which is almost unprecedented mm. these days. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, the right fit... I mean, look, Watford is very different now and mm. it's very different every season mm. uh, with, with terms of the squad, but you, you, you'd think that Marco Silva would, would tap into that quality. It's quite exciting, actually, with Will Hughes in there as well. Um, and... The, the, the balance they could get in that midfield that that, that is exciting and, and, and there is there is promise there Chaloba I, I like to see how Loftus-Cheek does as mm. well because people at Chelsea think that he's a he's an England player in the making but as I say it's a, he's untested mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. let's look finally at the uh, women's Euros now there's a bit of mea culpa about this because our business sometimes does not do itself any favours there's a headline talking about the stunning babes of 2017 at the Euros. You know, that, that sort of sexist garbage belongs to the Stone Age. Is this the tournament that where women's football is going to be taken with the seriousness it deserves? Really, really hope so. And I'm, I'm, you're right about that. That's just come from, from nowhere because I think you'll actually find that, that in terms of Fleet Street, Correspondence actually covering the, yeah. the tournament in, in Holland, um, probably more than ever, um, have, have gone over there with staff writers, um, 
filing you know features news mm. stories every single day um you, you've got a tournament where the, the, the opening fixture you got 20 21,000 sellout to see the dutch i think beat norway didn't they one nil um on on sunday um they got, they, Germany, they're really the, good the holders are starting England, Germany, Scotland Sweden's on Tuesday. Um, England's I think it's Wednesday, isn't it? And it's just mm. it's it's a proper a proper game. There's a lot of pressure on you know Mark Sampson's team to sort of maintain the the success that the English yeah. junior teams have had all all summer, and now they go there suddenly as one of the favourites and thinking that for the first time in ages we could have a an England women's team that that could dethrone the Germans. Yeah. Who just, all conquering at this level. In that regard, actually, the 2015 uh, World Cup feels actually a little bit of a, like an Italian 90 in terms of the uh, maybe the kind of the, the the wider appreciation for women's football, just because just how, how much it seems like I think how much did capture people's attention suddenly, suddenly the way it went from as you say kind of almost almost kind of being reported in, in the way kind of. Um, mid-sized or niche leagues around Europe were to actually suddenly be a, 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 a properly covered kind of and, and, and he headline news, mm -hmm. um, and and again, and we can already see the effects of that now. But talking to an agent, he, he said the problem with the women's game at the moment is that the the finances are pretty much concentrated on two or three clubs, mm. you know, the usual suspects: Chelsea, City, Arsenal, to a degree, where a player could earn maybe anywhere between sixty and eighty thousand pounds a year. You're at Liverpool, mm. you're on 22,000. That's the imbalance that, that women's football has got to get its head around, isn't it? Mm. Because you've got to get a much broader base. Yeah, right. you do, right. But, I mean, we saw Lewis FC last week. Yeah. We? They're going to equal pay for its men's and women's teams. Uh, sort of groundbreaking. It's a non-league club, but it's, it's moving in the right direction. It's very early days still. Mm. Unfortunately, it, that's just the reality. Mm. Uh, it, it's in terms of the finances involved. Yeah, also, there's a bit of a chicken and egg. I mean, the more I mean, this is this is ultimately it's the, the, the dilemma to a certain extent. But basically, so the, the more media attention it gets, the more interest that will be created. The more people will flock to the more supporters and get. And it, 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 it is a, a, well, maybe a slightly slow process in that sense as well. But mm. it, it can happen. But when you've got Tony Duggan mm. going to Barcelona, Barcelona, yeah, that to me is a landmark move. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just even the kind of the the image, just the, the, the very mention of Barca, what 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 I, what I can notice, the, the glamour that it, it gives. We had Paul Stratford with doing that deal with a photograph with uh, Duggan with the Barcelona mm -hmm. shirt, Stratford in the background, and then two days later he was at Everton with Wayne Rooney yeah. doing exactly <laughs> the same pose, and and that that's yeah yeah that's, that's promising. I think that that's a sign that we we are moving in the right direction slowly. Well, just think. The FA banned women's football for 50 years until 1972. Mad, eh? Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. <laughs>